This episode of the Astro Powder Podcast is brought to you by Gamma. Gamma's Optistar all-in-one control unit leads the industry with a design fusing electrostatics and power feed in one compact device. By combining the powder injector and control unit functionality into one device, you get the highest coating efficiency, fastest response times of powder output, and excellent cleaning performance. For more information, call 877-437-6771. Once again, that's 877-437-6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. Configure it, feed it, optimize it, integrate it. Complete it with Gamma. Hello, all you powder coating fans, and welcome to episode 25 of the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. We really appreciate your support. I'm your host. Joe Powder, a.k.a. Kevin Biller, and with me, as always, is my colleague, sidekick, and the born-to-be-wild biker who loves smoking lightning, Nathan. He's our powder-coating formulator dude. And I'm just looking for adventure and whatever comes my way. We're broadcasting from the Powder Coating Research Group studios in Columbus, Ohio, the purpose of the Ask Joe Powder podcast is to bring the latest news and technical know-how to the global powder coating community. So let's get it rolling. Okay, but before we do, shout out. I'd like to give a shout out to our friends Brian Spicer and Dwayne Barons of Innova Coat. Uh, they've just recently received a grant from the Michigan Department of of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy for $273,000, and it's to put toward an effort to recycle 5 million pounds of excess powder coating that otherwise would have been discarded in their little corner of the world in West Michigan. According to Brian, they have a vision to take 2 billion pounds of excess powder that's being dumped or burned every year and put it to good use. And they're going to start this in their backyard in West Michigan, where they estimate between 4 and 6 million pounds of excess powder goes to landfills every year. They're going to primarily invest this grant money on highly specialized equipment that takes discarded powder coating get this, it turns it in 100% of it back into virgin powder coating. The net effects of this initiative will not only keep powder coating out of landfills and incinerators or the water table, but it will also decrease the industry's carbon footprint because its process doesn't require raw materials to be either mined or extracted. Um, this grant, by the way, is part of an initiative by Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, and the state legislatures, and their target is to double Michigan's recycling rate to 30% by the year 2025. So good job, guys, and uh, we're glad that uh, the state recognized you and 
Yeah, keep up the good work. Okay, it's, now it's time for the news in our Guess What segment. Guess what? We have a couple of items here that are just kind of new uh, product launches. Um, the first one comes from Axo Nobel. This is the Interpon D2525, which is their Interpon super durable powder coating for architectural. Um, they're now offering it with X-Pro technology, and that's uh, increased scratch and mar resistance. So they already had the X-Pro technology in their D1036 range, but now they also are offering it in this D2525 range, which is the satin and matte super durable finishes. Yeah, it looks like they're going to have that available for their customers in the EMEA region and also launch it in uh, the South Asian um, region a bit later this year from what they say. And speaking of architectural powder coating, Sherwin-Williams also is introducing the Echelon collection of hyper-durable powder coatings. And hyper-durable is, you know, that's the fluoropolymer-based powder coatings that are meant for long-term, 10-year-plus Florida durability and meeting, you know, AMA 2605 specification. Yeah, and Qualicoat Class 3, I believe. That's another 10-year one. Right. All right, another news item, friends. Uh, this one's reported in IPCM, the uh, uh, International Paint and Coatings magazine from our good friends in uh, Italy. Um, they report uh, about the continuing um, trouble that the supply chain is having in our industry in particular, but, you know, the chemical industry uh, in a broad sense. Um, and basically what they, they're they saying is um, the European paint coatings industry is under extreme pressure due to rising raw material prices, and they say this is caused by a complex mix of demand, capacity issues, and scarce transportation resources. We've talked about this in the past, but... Yeah, I don't think it's exclusive to Europe, and it's not exclusive to um, coatings by any means. But, yeah, it seems like supply chains are affected everywhere right now. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's kind of a, a a confluence of a number of factors. Um, you know, as the economy recovers... There's an increased demand for raw materials, so it kind of looks like a little bit of a capacity issue. Um, you compound that with bad weather conditions, especially the big freeze in Houston that was unanticipated. So, you know, that that's where they, some of them invoked the force majeure um, situation. Um, the other um, issue that they remark is transportation costs are on the rise because of a sharp increase in oil prices. So it's it's just really kind of become very dire. Um, give you an example. Um, since January last year, costs of key 
components like epoxy resins, which are very common in powder coatings, they've gone up by 60%. Oh, yeah. One of the uh, polyester suppliers, I remember they were kind of, it was, you know, each month they were saying, oh, it's going up another five cents, it's going up another five cents, and then I think the last one had jumped up a 15 or 20 cents a pound uh, for polyester resins as well. Yeah. The other thing that's happened, and, and you know, this this is maybe a little bit COVID-related, but the way they describe it is there's a V-shaped recovery in China, which is fueling a demand within China for raw materials. And, you know, over the last 15 or 20 years, China has become the main source, the main producer of raw materials, especially for the powder coating industry. Now, parallel to that, um, the the global pigment um, industry has been raising their prices as well, and this this includes everything from titanium dioxide and and the the iron oxides, the red, yellow, and, and in some cases black iron oxide. They've seen sharp increases in raw material prices, um, mainly due to high demand, you know, imbalances in some of the trade, and just higher costs to make pigments. So on top of this, <laughs> the, the situation is exacerbated by capacity issues. There's been some key disruptions. We mentioned some of them for some of the monomers, for, for polyesters in particular, NPG in Singapore and South Korea. Yeah, sometimes um, people drive boats into the side of canals. and <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was a pretty interesting one. Um, so... Anyway, the other crazy thing, uh, I've written about this in one of my um, columns, uh, there's a global shortage of shipping containers. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? But um, So it's really jacked up the cost of transportation. Um, so it, it's in some places they say uh, the cost of containers have risen up to 400% since uh, this time last year. All right, enough of the gloom and doom. Let's move on to our question and answer portion of our podcast. Do you have a question? Ask Joe Powder. Well, you can ask him. Ask Joe Powder. He has the answer. That old answer. Powder coding. It's the Ask Joe Powder podcast. All right, our first question comes from Neil McMeekin in uh, sunny Columbus, Ohio. He says, good evening, Joe. Apparently, this... uh, Message was sent after hours. It says, I hope all is well with you and your family. Business seems to be getting back to normal. I have a customer visit coming up, and our company engineer thinks he's also an ace powder formulator. He's mentioned powder slurries to the customer, and now I'm looking to get a grasp on it. The substrate is a concrete-slash-fiberboard with a high moisture content to begin with, so outgassing has become an issue. I was wondering if you had any info on slurries or if you could provide your opinion on using them on a non-ferrous substrate such as concrete slash fiberboard. Any help would be, I would be grateful. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, I, 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 I actually answered this, um, following morning. So I said, uh, yeah, hi, my good friend, Neil. Um, I was, uh, I had shut my laptop and I was hanging out with my lovely wife and, uh, give me an update. Everybody's good in our world. Uh, we're really looking forward to 
springtime and summer, and we're, we've got vaccinations underway where we live. Um, regarding your question, I do have experience with powder, powder slurries. I spent a full year formulating these back in my Glidden days, back in, believe it or not, the early 1980s. And it's certainly a viable product to make. Think about it, though. Basically, you're taking a more or less finished powder coating that's gone through the process to make a powder coating, and then you're making a waterborne paint out of it. It's, it's, it's a suspension of powder particles in an aqueous medium. To get there, your, your quote-unquote paint needs a surfactant, a defomer, and some kind of rheological or thickening agent. Um, that being said, you may also have to put an in-can preservative to keep the bugs out. And what I found in my formulating work, uh, sneaking in a little co-solvent would give you better film formation. Mm -hmm. So when you think about this, it's a costly proposition. So I would uh, highly encourage you to do the numbers before getting too excited about it. Essentially, you're taking a finished product and using it as a raw material to make a liquid paint. In addition, particle size is somewhat critical so that you get decent thin films. And when you make smaller particles, this requires a higher concentration of surfactant to wet it out. One thing that I found in my work was that you know most surfactants generally increase overbake yellowing and in some cases decreased corrosion resistance which you know this may not be a problem over a, a non-metal substrate like the uh, concrete fiberboard that you mentioned uh, you know as far as the work that I did way back when we did eventually commercialize it it was back in the days when powder spray equipment was rather primitive and penetrating a tight Faraday cage was a bit of a challenge the customer that used our slurry they used it to reinforce these Faraday areas prior to the powder being applied electrostatically. So if you think the a paint line, they'd spray the tuft to, to, to coat, cover areas first with this powder slurry with regular paint equipment, uh, and then they, they would follow it through uh, their electrostatic powder spray booth. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like you'd need it need to have a very specific need for a slurry. It's like you're taking a, a perfectly usable powder that's, um, you know, has all sorts of benefits to being in a powder form. You add water and then you have to get the water out of it after it's on the part. Yeah. You know, that's a good point because what, what the customer opted for was that we would ship them the powder dry and then we would send them a concentrate that had all the, the magic additives mm. to disperse it. They dump it into a, a, a steel drum and, well, they fill it up with water and the slurry and then they dump the powder in. The customer did this for, for maybe a year or two and then they learned how to spray their, their powder better into Faraday's and mm. so ended that story. That being said, I know Volvo in the early 1990s, they did a powder slurry in Scandinavia for some smaller kind of, you know, lower end, if they have them, Volvos for their clear coat. So anyway, Neil, if you have any more questions, uh, give me 
give me a shout. Uh, your powder coating friend, Joe Powder. Okay, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Synchronized monitoring and control of your entire automated process is the core of GAMA's Magic Control 4.0 data management systems, with options like line management, offering deeper insight into productivity and consumption, or energy management, allowing you to monitor and save both energy and air consumption, or batch management, offering tracking of powder used to coat production batches. GAMA provides the very best in technology and connectivity for smarter factory automation. To learn more about GAMA's Magic Control 4.0 data management systems, visit completeitwithgama.com. Connect it, control it, track it, synchronize it. Complete it with GAMA. The Powder Coating Research Group is a proud sponsor of the Ask Joe Powder podcast. PCR is the only independent laboratory dedicated to powder coating technology. We do everything from raw material evaluation formulating the next generation of coatings, new product development, testing, troubleshooting, training, and consulting. To find out more, visit our website at powdercoatingresearch.com or you can email Kevin Biller at kevinbiller at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to the Astro Powder Podcast. All right, we're back, and our next question comes from Howard Satterfield in Illinois. Howard says, Joe, I am new to powder coating, but the plant where I work has been doing it for a few years. The guys do a good job on single colors and are starting to experiment with multicolors. Is multicolor powder coating possible? And if so, do you have any information that would help us? Thanks. Okay, Howard. Uh, hey, thanks for the question. This is a good one. Uh, and, you know, just, just to start out, um, one often overlooked characteristic of powder coatings that sets them apart from really any liquid paint is that they are discrete, fine particles that stay that way when they're sprayed until they, until they reach the oven. So unlike most liquid paints, mixing two colors doesn't result into an intermediate color, say, if you had white and red, you don't get a pink, uh, but you get a blend, a speckle finish of uh, individual particles because they're discrete as they're deposited, and then they, they don't mix together like liquid paint would. So you know, this is one thing to consider. So, yeah, the, the, the question of multicolor powder coatings, yeah, there's a lot of kind of playing around and experimenting you can do. So, okay, let's let's talk about the first one, blend two or more powders, and you'll get a speckled finish. So, like, for instance, if you take an orange, kind of a medium brown and maybe a dark brown, uh, blend them together, you're going to get something that looks like a rust patina without the rust. So we've, we've done work in the past where uh, we blended uh, large black, gray, and white particles and uh, it simulated certain roofing-type looks mm-hmm. uh, that are common, at least in the United States. Um, so there's there's all kinds of stuff you can do along those. The other blends that you can consider, and this is kind of, kind of like a, a formulator trick, but 
you can you can blend um, incompatible powders together, and you can get maybe a hammer tone or a structured finish. Uh, some people call them veins. Um, you can also add a silver or a bronze pigment, and you'll get kind of like an antique look, which is very attractive. Now, speaking of silver or bronze pigments, and when I say silver, I mean aluminum or aluminum, yeah. aluminum for some of our uh, listeners. Um, you you can make a metallic by incorporating uh, specially treated aluminum, aluminum flakes. Um, and I would recommend that you, know, you look at something around maybe a half to up to maybe 5% and just play around with it. Uh, and and you'll, you'll get some pretty interesting effects. Another kind of variation of that theme would be using these um, coated micas or pearlescent pigments and you can get some pretty cool looking effects not not exactly a metallic effect but uh, kind of a, a, a light reflective effect uh, by incorporating those types of materials another one which I think this was a little esoteric but you can get holographic effects there's actually a, a holographic pigment that does this really really cool effect you dry blend it into a powder and i'm, I'm saying you put it in a probably about a one percent maybe two percent uh put it in a dark color and what you get is kind of a prismatic look prism look um depending on how the light's hitting it really really kind of striking kind of the last thing i want to mention is you can apply a dry powder onto another dry powder. And I'm talking about different colors. And then you can disturb the surface, the dry surface, before it sees the oven. And you can come up with some kind of interesting effects. Some people have done it to simulate wood grain. And I'd say I think that's more art than science. But I don't know. Uh, if you have the time and the resources, you know, you can get pretty creative, Howard. The other thing, the, the caveat I want to leave with you uh, before we move on is when you do stuff like this, typically it's hard to re reproduce. So just keep that in mind that the, the, the concoction you come up with you know, on a Thursday uh, might be hard to simulate the next time you try it a couple weeks later. Mm -hmm. The other thing is when you do these dry blends with powders, you can't reclaim the powder because the the stuff that doesn't make it to the surface, the overspray is going to look a lot different than the stuff that made it to the surface. Right. So kind of in conclusion, I'd encourage you to experiment with the possibilities. Um, you can really, really come up with some pretty neat stuff. And maybe, you know, you, you can kind of, uh, you know, set yourself apart from, from your competition. So give me, give me a shout if you've got any further questions. Best regards, Joe. Okay, everyone, before we uh, let you go, I'd like to fill you in on some upcoming events. Hey, friends, where are we going? To an upcoming event. Okay, um, May 6th, 2021 is the DSCT Focus show. That's at the Inn at St. John's in Plymouth, Michigan. That one's cool, Nate, because it's, you know, it's it's, they say Plymouth, Michigan, which is kind of an outer suburb of yeah, the Detroit, Detroit area, area, 
um, it's really, really focused on automotive. Mm. And I think there's some exciting things coming out in automotive now. So, I, you know, people can make it to Detroit in May. That That's that, right, May 6th. That, that could be really cool. Okay. And then the 22nd and 23rd of June, we're having a powder coating kitchen. It's a introductory powder coating formulators course that is actually put on by us at the powder coating research group. Yeah. If you want to learn, you know, if, if you're a novice and you want to learn about how a powder coating is put together, this is the course for you. You'll spend two full days in our laboratory. We give you lectures, but most importantly, we give you hands-on demonstrations. We actually, after teaching you, we have you try out your hand as a formulator and we'll make your formulation in our lab and, and show you what we got and do some testing. All right, and then Powder Coating Week, that's the Powder Coating Institute's um, combined uh, series of events. It's the Powder Coating Workshop, the CCAI, and the Powder Coating Institute's um, conferences and tabletop exhibits um, all taking place the week of the 13th through 15th of July that's the um, the powder part, at least. Yeah, you know, and that, that one, you know, they've been kicking that can down the road with, with scheduling it, and we, we totally understand. Um, that was previously scheduled more, most recently for April, mm. and it just, because of COVID, you know, wasn't going to happen. So we've, we've got our, 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 our sights on this week. It's going to be a hot one in Orlando. That's the hottest time of the year but uh, i think we're going to be probably attending that one nate and that one's at um the renaissance orlando at sea world in orlando florida the middle east coding show was moved from june till september that's the one taking place in dubai uae the 27th through 29th of september yeah, that's another one. I think we, we would have been going to that one, my friends. I'd like to meet some of our friends out there in that part of the world, but it's it's coming right on the, the heels of our Powder Coating Summit conference uh, the, the previous week. Yeah, our summit, that's uh, the 22nd and 23rd of September, and that's here in Columbus, Ohio. And kind of winding up. You can also catch the Ask Joe Powder question and answer in print, kind of the precursor to this fun podcast. Um, you can find it in Powder Coated Tough Magazine, uh, which is a flagship of the Powder Coating Institute. Um, where I, I'm the technical editor. Uh, well, self to little uh, disclosure there. Also, Polymers Paint and Color Journal. That one comes out of the UK by the coatings group um ppcj is on their masthead um it's also on both of these magazines websites and also pci magazine which is paint and coating industry magazine it's under their finishing flash tab which is pcimag.com and you can find all of our old episodes at askjoepowder.com or by subscribing uh, using whichever podcast app you listen to. 
Um, we have a YouTube channel that doesn't have a whole lot on it yet, but if you subscribe, it'll let you know when we put a, a video up. Um, the Twitter handle is AKA Joe powder. And if you want to send in a question, the email address is ask powder at yahoo.com, or you can call in, leave us a message. It's country code one four seven eight two ask Joe. That's one four seven eight two two seven five five six three. This has been a production of the powder coating research group. Uh, original music, editing, the production, whatever the heck he does, is done by Nick Page. You can uh, listen to last week's episode for a little preview of his album. And hail yourself. <laughs> and don't forget to keep your powder dry, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Astro Powder Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Gama. Are you looking for a solution to coat your most difficult products with no touch-up? Then Gama's dynamic contouring equipment is the right solution for you. Unlike robotic coating, dynamic contouring offers greater flexibility without all the programming hassle, while correctly positioning each powder gun to automatically coat your parts. For more information, call 877 877- Four three seven six seven seven one. Once again, that's eight seven seven four three seven six seven seven one. And be sure to mention, ask Joe sent me. Automate it, position it, detect it, code it, complete it with Gamma. Make fun of my diet. I just make fun of um, putting cauliflower and everything. Oh, making cauliflower, like, instead of mashed potatoes and stuff. And wings and pizza crusts and rice. Oh, and... It's, it's not a good pizza crust. <laughs> yeah. Cauliflower is a... Um, it's a cruciform. It's a... It's a vegetable. It's a... It takes up space. That's what it does, but it doesn't really... Yeah. Do anything else well. It's a substrate. It's yeah, like, it doesn't taste good. It doesn't yeah. taste bad. It's like... Yeah. <laughs>